I thought I was going to get the VIP. Bring tissues. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> Something tells me I'm not in the Upper West Side anymore. I noted it. <laughs> Stop I, it. I live in the Bronx. Let's be real. <laughs> um, okay. I'm going to, I think I like doing a little bit of the small talk before yeah. the episode, before I read, like, welcome to coming forward. Yeah. I want to keep that up. Yeah. So that's what we're going to, if we're, are we starting? Okay. Um, so reminders to self, it's okay to be silent. It's okay to take your time. Before we start, I wanted to set the intention for today of being present with my guest and relaxing and breathing into my body and being able to really take in and see my guest's goodness. And if you feel like sharing at all an intention for today, if not, I can just go into the reading of any personal intention, really one sentence quickly that you want to say. Uh, my intention is to restore uh, my inner child and that hope and that being present and being fresh. Yeah, just to restore that love back to that child that was affected okay also have some check-ins throughout this episode of how we're feeling as we're working mm -hmm. through some of the material after the share mm -hmm. okay welcome to the podcast coming forward coming forward is an anonymous podcast for victims of abuse to safely come forward and tell their stories in a support group setting topics will rotate on a weekly basis following the readings and materials used by the support group ASCA which stands for adult survivors of child abuse the goal of the podcast is to normalize and desensitize some of these difficult topics in hopes to push the needle on our national conversation about sexual, emotional, and physical abuse as it relates to the legal system. Coming forward will serve as a safe and judgment-free space for the most intimate conversations so that we can all speak our truth and feel a little less alone. It is important to note that this podcast in no way serves to replace any form of therapy. Participants have the option to be anonymous or state their name and we respect reasons for doing whichever option they feel the most safe and comfortable with. Lastly, this platform may contain explicit descriptions of sexual, physical, or emotional abuse that may be disturbing to listeners. Listening discretion is advised. In honor of LGBT month, um, that's part of this topic and kind of intertwined with the telling our story, all the resources and materials that will be spoken about today after the presenter's share will be posted within this episode. It will be he a heavy resource episode given the topic. Um, we will have a 10-minute presenter followed by optional feedback and then a conversation after. Feel free to start when you're okay. ready. Uh, thank you, Brittany, for having me on your podcast. I think this is very important work, and I want to greet everyone. A happy Pride Month. Um, I identify as LGBTQIA+, and I'm also a, a person of color, uh, specifically Filipino, it was uh, Philippine Independence Day actually last weekend. I was mistaken. I told you it was this weekend. It's next weekend. Last last weekend, and this weekend I think is Puerto Rican Independence. There's a lot of parades, a lot of pride, which is great. Um, I think Aska should have a pride parade at some point, Brittany. That's something in the works. But um, that was just thought. <laughs> um, so I want to just delve right in. Um, this was a hard undertaking, and uh, a question I asked myself whether I should or should not um, when. Uh, do this podcast was really um, I don't want to bring shame to my family you know being uh, Asian specifically Filipino there's a lot of shame involved um, 
through the generations culturally uh, with Catholicism being colonized. But however, uh, I said to myself, I don't need a permission slip to to get someone's authorization whether I should share. No one asked me and my permission if they were going to abuse me. So I don't feel uh, I should ask someone uh, whether or not I should share or not. This is part of my recovery and this is very important work. And this is for visibility and for true allyship. And if somebody hears it and is in these intersections, again, I identify as LGBTQIA, POC, and more recently, an American with disabilities. So it's a lot of intersectionality there. So the first part is actually with my father. Um, so we grew up, we were raised in the Philippines up until I was about six. There were some good and bad times. I don't want everyone to think, oh, it's just all abuse over there, you know, <laughs> on the side of the pond. Growing up, my dad had a temper. Uh, he was physically, verbally abusive, emotionally negligent. Actually, the person that I re reference that reminds me of my dad was Saddam Hussein. You know, this was going back into the late 80s, early 90s. So he was a prominent figure even in the Philippines. So my dad in the public was a man about town. You know, everybody knew him. You know, he was in office that, you know, he knew like some politicians. He, you know, he was well-liked, uh, well-known in, in our small town of Antique in the Philippines. And it was very rural. That's also in context. Um, but his behavior in closed behind closed doors was highly diminutive. He had a violent temper. It was very abrupt. He had bouts of alcoholism. And I'm not here to, to shame people that struggle with alcoholism. That's one thing I want to make clear. However, when it does affect your children, it's very alarming. And that one I want to address. You know, again, he was emotionally absent. And I, looking back now and dating, my dating life, it's like the energy that I was craving was this um, masculine, nurturing energy that was not present. You know, I grew up with my aunts and my sisters uh, while my mom was in America trying to get us um, to the U.S. So in that context, it wasn't easy. Even in our language, there were words. There are words. Like, you know, in, in Inuit, there's a lot of words for snow in, in our uh, Filipino dialect called kinaray-a. There's a lot of words of how I'm going to abuse you or how you're useless. That's you know very diminutive. And to a child, that's very harrowing. It sticks with you physically in your spirit. And I'm going to go over some words just to allow myself to relive that, you know. Inutil, which is also shared in the Spanish uh, language, meaning useless. Buyun, buyun, gago, gago. Warapulos, or useless. Kalag, kalag means you have no kind of sense. All these put-downs were part of the vocabulary. And again, there were words, <laughs> very different ways of how I'm going to abuse you. And I'm just going to go into it. Means like, I'm going to, all these, I'm going to slap you. I'm going to hit your head on the ceiling. Or, you know, very, very, very vulgar words of how I'm going to abuse you. And it's later, you know, usually attached with karon or later, meaning very threatening. So this is what I had to grow up with. And uh, it wasn't easy. And also, I knew I was different earlier on. Even at five, four years old, six years old, I knew 
I had an inclination to the male sex, and I had certain tendencies. I, you know, I had a, a switch to my walk at five. I was very sassy, um, and my dad would say, "Oh, don't a git means like, oh, he's you're such a you know f word. You could fill in the blanks, and you know, try to belittle me because I was on the more effeminate side and." I just wanted to be myself. You know, I played with my sister's Barbies, with my sisters, and played with the trucks and the air jumbo jets. And I, I like to draw. I was very artistic. But he said, you know, rather than just being an artist, you know, you should be an architect, you know, because that's something masculine. Like, try to masculinize everything that was, quote, unquote, a threat to him, that was effeminate. So that's one context of the abuse. And I'm going to actually switch caps or switch sides to a different kind of abuse that I had endured, which my father was very uh, dismissive or very cold about, which is my sexual abuse. Uh, my sexual abuse, sexual abuse actually didn't occur in the hands of my father. However, I am sympathetic to those that are, have gone through incest. With that said, it, what hap it occurred in the hands of one or two called Borders guys in college, college age, you know, I was five, five and a half or so. They were lured me into their room. My aunt was in the house in another room, which actually was part of the trauma. And I was, you know, lured into performing oral sex. And it was multiple times. And there was a sense of it had to be secret. It, had, it was like a fun little thing. And, um, and at that time, okay, it was four or five. I did not know what it really was. And later on, it became shameful and I felt dirty and manifested itself in different ways in my young uh, childhood and adolescence. As I got older in eight, nine, and 10, it actually more recently, through years and years of therapy, I realized I had issues with going to the bathroom, you know, with defecation. I would hold it in. So it was like, what? And I would be shameful about it, you know, not knowing how to defecate something that's so simple and that continued until we went to the states when i was about six and a half seven years old in the early 90s going back to my father there was a particular incident that i shared and it was in public i was in my holy commun during my holy communion and instead of going to the chapel i saw my family i ran to my family and he twisted my ears so bad and that lives in my body and has continued to live in me and remember it's the body again t does take the count holds the count he yelled at me over spilled milk you know people say don't cry over spilled milk he just would yeah. and there's other ways that how it manifested throughout my childhood i would act out in toy stores and it wasn't about the toy it wasn't about the toy it was about holding in the abuse not knowing not not having the words to articulate you know, I was angry abruptly, but it had nothing to do with what it was to the outside world. It was internal. You know, I developed depression in high school. I developed agoraphobia because I didn't want people to see me walk or talk, quote unquote, gay, self-conscious of how I walked or even how I positioned my arms when I was sitting down on the train. And I stayed in even when it was nice outside. I felt guilty and I felt alone. Uh, nobody could possibly understand me. Looking back now, I have a fear of staying in. I have a reverse agoraphobia. 
I don't want to stay in because I stayed in all those times. So I have this fear of staying at home, being quote unquote a loser or. And um, in the early 2000s, when I started going out, I was in college, I was, I had lived a double life. I acted out and that was, I tried being a go-go dancer, <laughs> I guess, because I was so bored. I was in pharmacy school and pharmacy school was so boring. And also at that time, you know, I was starting to come out of the closet. I finally saw a counselor. I went to like one or two sessions and that's where I guess the seed of recovery started. I read a book, I talked to this uh, therapist. A large part of me wanted some kind of vigilante justice. So I volunteered for this organization called ECPAT, um, which actually goes after uh, sex tourists internationally. And I thought I was gonna be like, oh, this young looking sexy decoy, I'm gonna get them, you know, like to catch a predator back, that was with Chris Hansen, was like Dateline or MSNBC, something like that. And uh, yeah, uh, that's how it started to manifest. I wanted to try to transform at that time, but I knew I was still suffering, but I didn't know other modes. I didn't know about therapy. I didn't know anything of the sort. And much later on, after breaking up with my partner of almost five years, I told myself I have to go to therapy. There's a lot of things going on that a lot of anger, there's a lot of unresolved business, most likely from my childhood, my family dynamics. So I started seeing uh, like a therapist, you know, did psychoanalysis. So therapist, 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 a whole bunch of years later. And actually a huge car accident later, I was forced to slow it down. Um, and I had nothing but time. So I saw even more <laughs> therapists. Um, I saw one that actually made me realize certain things about my childhood. And more recently, one that allowed for art therapy, EMDR, CBT, mindfulness, was performing comedy before my car accident. And I'm grateful that I have a sense of humor that allows me to see the funny in the most bleak of times. Started doing uh, advocacy work, doing pro-immigration, um, volunteering at a migrant center in Midtown that was, uh, I think, Catholic-based. And I went to a bunch of support groups, and I saw, I met Ask, I found ASCA, and I'm so grateful. I was able to meet people like me in different facets who are going through it and in different stages of recovery. Discovered meditation at New York Insight. It's very important, actually. Meditation for me has been very important in my recovery. I discovered a lot of things you know, finding the voice of the other. Even though I was angry at my father, I was trying to see where he was coming from. You know, he was felt emasculated. You know, my mom making more money than him. And maybe that's how his alcoholism developed. And we were there. We were present as kids, and who else better to take it out on? But I do, do want to say that uh, the particular sit that I go to at this meditation center is a, a people of color sit, and it's just so liberating to see somebody like you you who look like and speak similar to you or have similar experiences and be able to voice it out without inhibition dealing coping in the world and also did you know done some yoga that's helped a lot and swimming what i realized is yoga 
swimming and meditation all have they focus on breath work and uh it's very restorative to the brain especially in trauma and i've realized it so so much and i'm grateful that i found this link and i'm still doing the ongoing work of transforming my suffering and more recently because of meditation i was able to forgive my father last father's day and so that is strong strong work and it took years i don't want people thinking hey this is going to happen overnight. Just forgive. Just forgive. Why hold on to it? It takes years. It takes years and different modalities. For everybody, it looks different. There's no one way. There is no one way. And for me, it was all of these ways. Um, so I really want to advocate for true allyship, for people that were not, you know, didn't go through childhood abuse, and people that are not POC or people that are not LGBTQ and people that don't have disabilities that, you know, or, you know, there are people like me who have non-visible disabilities, and it's also an added layer to speaking out. Um, I want to leave with actually reading a poem. It's from Limitless by Donna Folds. And um, for me, it's, it's a very, can I say, it has really really impacted in how I start my day. It's called Blank Page. Once I get my phone to start. <laughs> no, I, can, I can read that later. I'll read it. I can read that later. Um, just go into okay. the dialogue. Um, thank you. We'll definitely come back to that. Would you like to... <clears throat> Are any feelings coming up that you feel like sharing after um, sharing all of that? Um, Would you like to share more feelings of anything after after this is kind of to a close now? I know. Um, one important thing that I didn't say was actually the prep work. And actually, thank you, Brittany, for <laughs> I modeled that after your share in ASCA. Was the prep work. You know, there. as I texted you, I was in my car after yoga on like very low, low amount of sleep, like two hours and trying to do everything in one day. And I was just like, uh, okay, I'm hyperventilating and crying in my parked car. <laughs> Luckily I'm parked. <laughs> um, while I'm writing this, it's, it's so much, it's so much. And um, let me just let this tears come down without judgment to myself. Uh, not feeling any kind of shame, dropping the shame, I think was one thing that I had to let go of for me to continue to thrive is the shame. And one thing that actually from your share, thank you for that, that I had a breakthrough was how shame has manifested itself uh, in me with not allowing myself to rest because I don't think I deserve to rest. I always have to do. And I hear my father's uh, voice of you know, you're being lazy or, you know, what's wrong with you? Like, you know, very, a lot of put downs, very diminutive and belittling. And also actually one thing, one positive thing from, again, uh, from transforming the abuse is in finding partners. Dating and dating is actually uh, when you notice somebody is abusive or has certain tendencies of what you've experienced the red flags actually come faster, you know, mm -hmm. the more, the longer you meditate on or the longer you think about it or you look into yourself that you do deserve love. And it's one thing that actually 
I looked at this picture that I'm sharing with Brittany. Um, it's of myself in pink striped overalls <laughs> and the rain. Is that a rainbow? It might be a rainbow. Oh and gosh. my sister in. Also very appropriate for today. Wearing <laughs> rainbow striped <laughs> sleeves. Yeah. So it's myself and my two sisters and a cousin. And we're here wearing hand-me-downs, and my mom wrote, you know, this was taken last November 1st. I love how old the photo looks. It's like a classic (laughs) style. It's it's adorable. Thanks for bringing that. At the cemetery, when we visited there, Lola, which is grandma, uh, Jojo and Toto Paul, that's how they referred me as, were wearing your padala, or your souvenirs there, uh, which is a common practice. You bring your rummaged clothes from the U.S. to the Philippines, and we were recipients of that. Uh, but I had to look at this picture, and as I was driving, I was overcome with tears, actually, midday, either yesterday or Thursday. And I had to tell myself, you deserve the love, the respect, the adoration, because you are a good person. There's still so much goodness in you. Yeah. You know, people will tell you otherwise when you walk into a room, because you are queer, because you are of your skin color, or your eyes are slanted or you're a person with disabilities who doesn't look like it and you don't complain so they think you know and they will harass you for all those things so i tell myself and when i do the meditation i try to incorporate um speaking uh, invoking that inner child mm-hmm. um in some of those more, more usually in the morning like morning sits thank you for sharing that thank you for also sharing your process and what that looks like and just for people listening he did mention before you know I'm he wasn't going to mention my share and I gave permission and um, I just think that's important to note that um, things kind of naturally said if I have a relationship with the person I'm allowing that in this space is a different feeling from somebody that I there was a situation before where I didn't know somebody in a room and they asked my name and I thought that was really bizarre and had a weird gut feeling where there's an established report here so I felt comfortable and I'm feeling kind of more comfortable being more um, open. But so thank you for that. And thank you for asking my permission to share that. Thank you for telling your process. Would you like any feedback from me regarding sure, your share? I'll, I'll be brief here, but I found your process just like absolutely beautiful. I loved that you were able to go through and name the terms in the language. It felt, I'm really excited to hear your poem actually, because it felt like almost like beautiful in a poetic performance sense, the way you were just going through them. And even though I didn't know what you were saying, I could see that something was kind of moving through you or you're working through something. Um, I found that just moving to be a part of and to witness you doing that. Thank you for talking about shame of family and not feeling like you need permission to tell your story. I hope that you feel some weight lifted off you doing that. (laughs) And I want to ask you later, but thank you for bringing up the terms of the intersection of disability and instead of just lgbtq you added some other i don't want to do it in injustice or service lgbtqia plus ia plus okay i want to ask you a little bit more about the, the what that means um just because in all the research that i have they they say lgbtq i'm impressed that you read from next to nothing over there you have like nothing typed out you have little notes and this was all just kind of flowing out from you Improv, um, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you're allowing yourself to relive and this kind of goes back to the telling the story uh, topic of reliving and retelling and kind of letting it work through you and however it needs to. 
I could feel a sense of compassion when you were trying to kind of understand things that are unexplainable and un things that don't like nobody can understand right. um like those type of evil actions caused by others right. and the forgiveness piece and that it takes time and something else just to add to the end of yours because i know you i love that you were like it takes time it takes a lot of time like there's never really a number Right. And I just wanted to add a little caveat at the end of like, sometimes it is never yeah. for some people, yeah. no, for absolutely. some people. I, I agree. And I loved that you said the body having a score and that having a, going back to the book, the body have a score, but there is a price, there is a cost, there is like a mm -hmm. transactional receipt at the end of all of this. It mm -hmm. is manifesting through us. Yeah. I do also deeply believe that. And I felt really proud when you realized that you needed and wanted therapy when you got to that moment. I felt like kind of a cheerleader for you. I was really happy that you got that you um, found that and you found it to be so helpful. And I would I want to later ask you more about that and more about your process of therapy and uh, your process of EMDR and mindfulness and meditation and some of the breath work. Mm -hmm. um, but that is for my feedback piece. Do you want to share anything on how you're feeling or do you want to go into a conversation? I can briefly tell you um, how I'm feeling. I feel a huge sense of relief. I, this is definitely something I had to do. And I know there are consequences and I've thought about it. And there are people out there like me, similar to me, that, you know, and I think we maybe touched on it, that don't, can't articulate the words. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, that visibility, I have to be part of that because there's some days, I'm, I'm not going to lie, there are some days that it's hard for me to get up in the day because of the PTSD from my huge car accident. And one thing I actually want to say is trauma brings upon, upon past trauma. So in order for me to heal from the current trauma, I have to dig deep and live through and acknowledge, but as well heal the past trauma. As uh, after my car accident, I... There's a lot of, I think, dissociation. There was one of, one of my therapists has said where I was have, having issues with short-term memory. Mm. And so there's also there's a stigma also for seeking um, psychological help, psychotherapy, psychiatry for people of color because, you know, oh, you know, I had this agreement with my sister. She said, oh, you're the crazy one because you were seeing a therapist. And she said you could kind of see... I say it's antiquated, but that still lives in a lot of people uh, of color um, seeking uh, psychotherapy or different modalities of healing, whatever that may look like. And why I'm here is to actually help destigmatize because, yeah, you, the crazy person is the one that doesn't seek help and just allows it to manifest. So I consider myself a very healthy person in that regard. Before we go into, I printed so much today and I, it's hard because I don't want to do this topic a disservice. Um, I printed some studies and everything, like I said in the beginning, will be posted. I don't know how much we'll get through. I think I want to stick back to talking a little bit more about your therapy process and kind of asking you a little bit more questions right. around okay. that in yeah. an interview style. Definitely. And then we'll see how much time we have to go into all of the information or do you feel like I'll kind of maybe leave yeah. this up to you would you should we go into some of the information first and then come back yes. to you yes mm -hmm. okay or when do you want to do the poem too 
like do you uh, want to close with that yeah that'd be nice let's do that okay so i'm just adding a reminder we're gonna close with the poem (laughs) for myself (laughs) (laughs) okay close with the poem and definitely ask you more about therapy and emdr okay and again i don't know if we'll get through all of this Mm -hmm. but there's some statistics and figures here that I just kind of wanted to address from the National LGBT Health Education Center. Um, This is a study, Trauma-Informed Care Addressing Mental Health Risk Factors. And just starting out with a couple of quick definitions, chronic complex trauma can be the result of ongoing traumatic events such as abuse or neglect over time, multiple experiences of single events or chronic traumatic experiences such as mistreatment, discrimination affecting a person's sense of self in the world, examples of repeated exposure to discrimination or harassment, domestic violence, and child sexual abuse. And it says 50% out of 6,450 trans respondents reported that their medical providers were not prepared to address their health needs. 19% had been refused health care. 28% delayed addressing medical issues because of discrimination in health care. And then another definition of acute trauma. This is separate. Another definition, separate um, acute trauma, separate from chronic and complex trauma occurs following a single traumatic event that causes extreme emotional or physical distress. Without treatment, acute trauma symptoms can evolve into PTSD, anxiety, depression, examples, physical or sexual assault, police harassment. And they cite a report, some of the bigger overarching ones that I kind of found jaw-dropping were LGBTQ people are nearly two and a half times more likely to experience hate crimes than any other group. And transgendered people and people of color are most likely to be the victims of anti-LGBTQ murders. And this report will go into violence and harassment, um, normal stress, normal human stress responses. So when we were talking about body work, cognitive, memory problems, and ability to concentrate, to emotional, to behavioral, to physical, and the physical goes into aches and pains, dizziness, chest pain, rapid heartbeat, and the acute stress response to trauma, um, health consequences. People who have experienced partner abuse are 80% more likely to have a stroke, 70% more likely to have heart disease, 60% more likely to have asthma, and 70% more likely to drink heavily. And I don't want to sit here and read facts all day, yeah, but it's it, like, it, affects, I, it like needs to be said. It's a strong um, mind and body connection yeah. to trauma. And I... I will attest to it. I am a type two diabetic, um, and you know, and when I feel anxious, and after my car accident, if I feel extra anxious or depressed, I will have a, a very somatic response to it. You know, I'll have the tight, the really bad uh, muscle spasms in my neck and my lower back, or sometimes, you know, I just it's just hard to get out of bed physically. So there is that psychosomatic uh, response, and it's very real. Um, actually, I see it in my mom. Um, she's a very anxious woman, and later on, she had, you know she I don't want to get her whole medical history because I don't want to do that to her. But it has you know developed into one thing is uh, chronic heart failure, um, and I love my mom very much, and I'm a proponent of her health. 
as a her pharmacist son, you know, I'm always like I get mad at her for like not saying like standing up for herself, you know, there's that component of not speaking out for yourself, especially if you're a person of color. You know, you whatever the doctor says goes. And even though you have a family member who's in the medical field, you know, you're gonna take the doctor's, you know, say. Yeah. Um actually I wanted to also say there's also a trauma in the experience of being an immigrant, you know, I've exp- I talked about without going on a, on a tangent. Um, there's that trauma. That Is this where the snaps come in? Yeah, <laughs> the additional trauma of thank you, you know, saying that of being an immigrant because you have so much xenophobia from people that you know have been here for generations. But actually, their forefathers were immigrants themselves. So there is that stigma also when an inferior inferiority complex which will also add to your experience with uh childhood abuse so it's it, you know it kind of clusters and unfortunately or fortunately it's up to us to un, you know untangle that weave because there's so many layers it's so complex and I think I, I give a lot of credit to my trans brothers and sisters. There's that additional um, discrimination. I actually, um, I didn't want to get into it. I'm experiencing workplace discrimination as we speak. No, oh, please. Phil. And if, uh, yeah. it's affecting my body and my mental health and my somatic uh, physical health. However, <laughs> I'm a person who is a thriver and I'm clawing my way back up you know like that cat in the canyon there poster or whatever no i have like 22 <laughs> lives listen i almost died in a car accident <laughs> i was an immigrant gay i have all these issues uh and i'm still here um sprinting to the top yeah <laughs> you know like effortlessly with ease as i say graceful ease, equanimity <laughs> thank you for that yeah. Another study that will be posted from the American Psychological Association Trauma and Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder in LGBTQ individuals, something that I had starred particularly. I have a lot of things highlighted, but I I think reading facts can be a lot for a listener. But So just kind of going through quickly, what I had highlighted was LGBTQ youth are more likely to experience sexual abuse than heterosexual youth. However, and this is important to note, these sexual experiences are not casual factors in one's sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. And it goes into behavioral and physical health impact of trauma, um, high rates of suicide, and unique protective factors of being supportive family, friends, environment, creation of safe spaces. And one thing I wanted to mention that felt important to me when it talks about clinical considerations for practitioners treating traumatized LGBTQ individuals, and we can maybe tie this in with mm-hmm. the portion of your journey with therapy is there are specific LGBTQ inclusive therapists and that can lead to better outcomes and even recovery so that these communities are not struggling in silence. And that's something even when I was reading this, I was thinking, you know what, where I, the institution that I go to for my therapy, um, their trauma backlog was so behind that they were like, oh, well, you identify as bisexual, so actually we can put you under our LGBT trauma umbrella, and that will encompass that will encompass the trauma you're looking for, and you'll just be in, in this bucket over here instead. And I think that's important to have this awareness, and, and please speak if you do see somebody that's specialized in this, okay. if you've thought of it at all, if this is bringing anything to you. Well, actually, 
Um, this is maybe not at all. Yeah, I don't is, know. Maybe this is our transition to uh, how I my therapy journey. Yeah, please. Um, initially, my therapy journey. <laughs> <laughs> right now, uh, my, my right now therapist number one, two, three. <laughs> um, he is a gay, divorced male. Uh, I think he's Russian. So he's a, a white male gay. You know, I was looking for somebody both gay person of color, uh, but it's not easy to find. And if you go on psychology.com, you will see that there is a, such a need for diversity in our, our therapists. Um, and I think, like you said, Brittany, you touched upon uh, the outcomes. You know, when somebody hears you with that open ear who has lived a similar experience, it can make all the difference. Versus somebody who will just, oh, here are statistics. Oh, but you don't fit in there. Oh, no, no actually, no. Your life experience doesn't count. This is what science says. Yeah, um, I just want to say on not only the the personal experience yeah. part, because my therapist not necessarily has to identify as LGBT, yeah. but I think it's important that she is somewhat trained right. in that Absolutely. specifically. Absolutely. In that there's, you know, that's what they're studying. That's what they're focused right. on. Right. They're, they're informed. They're informed. That's yeah. important. Do you, do you see somebody that is under um, an LGBT inclusive therapy or is that anything you have experience with? Um, or not well, yet, he maybe? identifies as LGBTQ and he does list that as part Got of his it. inclusion of um, his, his specialties focus. or okay. subspecialty. And it took me, um, therapist number one was, uh, I think he was straight identifying uh, white male. Okay. And he was he was a good startup. <laughs> he was okay. good. Uh, he had, you know, I was able to identify certain things by just vocalizing. But I knew there was a layer of he didn't quite understand my journey. Okay. Um, and that's what I was kind of underlying these sessions that was a craving that I had for uh, getting better. You felt like that wasn't working for you if, Actually, if you don't feel seen and heard by them. No, I not that I don't see. I'm not seen or heard. It's more like uh, there's a depth of understanding that I wanted. Got it. So although he has that background, um, he didn't focus necessarily on specifically LGBTQ, but he has a greater understanding also um, and an sense. awareness. Yeah. So I did feel comfortable coming to him with a lot of these traumas from childhood, and it was with him that I had a lot of breakthroughs. Um, so I, I would, don't want to diminish his value. Yeah. So allies are great. <laughs> um, you know, like again, I, I advocate for uh, more people of color in that intersection of LGBTQ and pe person of color to go possibly go into that field and don't second guess yourself. There is such a need. I actually considered going to into that field. We shall see to be TBD. <laughs> time flies we're already at a component of wrapping up here okay. um i hope that some more people come forward that identify as lgbtq for the month of june for pride month um so i can work through more of these studies mm -hmm. but i'll still post them anyway there's a sexual assault in the lgbtq community um, by the human rights campaign there's i wanted to go into a, com a media component of this article, Survivors of Sexual Revolution in the Media, will that will be ignored during Gay Pride Month, mm -hmm. as June 12th will mark the third anniversary of the Pulse gay nightclub mass shooting in Orlando, Florida, that left 49 dead. And Elizabeth Wanning, one of the organizers that, of the Change Project, she spoke at a recent summit, and I just wanted to do her quote here that 
that born gay narrative is largely a male narrative. Some women being comfortable with loving another woman as a result of being molested by men. This born gay narrative most um, does not apply to these women's experiences. And as someone who falls in the bisexual bucket over on this side, I really appreciated that comment. And I think a lot of people wanted to hear that. Um, there's so much more that I want to cover, but that felt important. And then I'll post the study by this, uh, there, someone from Harvard and someone from Columbia does maltreatment in childhood affect sexual orientation in adulthood. I know that's very controversial. And then uh, touching on religion, because we won't get to all this, when religion leads to trauma by the mm. New York Times. Also timely, um, this was February of 19. Um, and then lastly, I wanted to touch a little on legislation. I hope we have more episodes to go deeper into this. Of Senator Kane of Virginia introduces bill to protect LGBT kids from child abuse. And with this, I really wanted to open it up to if people do go to this and read it. What are your thoughts on this? Please write in. Do you feel like these goals are aligned with the need? If there's anything missing, what would you like to see? Um, if I would love to open up kind of legislation conversations around this. And there'll be some additional um, resources posted. But let's close with, firstly, anything else that you um, wanted to say today that you had prepared besides, I know, the poem, but anything else that you want to yeah. say? Well, actually, that ties in with my poem is, well, actually, I want to say the Inside Out is a, this, uh, a meditation set that meets, I believe it's the last, used to be the last Wednesday, now it's the last Monday, but just go to the New York Insight NYC website. They have an, it's called Inside Out Refuge, which is LGBTQ, queer identifying individuals, and engage in meditation. It's once a month. Actually, they meet uh, June 18th at Chelsea Pier. Um, and I'll share that with you, Thank Brittany, you. about that sit. Um, we'll post that. We'll do two sits. One already occurred, and one will be June 18th at Chelsea Pier. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so with that in mind, um, yeah, I'd really like to advocate for self-care. One tip that I was given, giving to a friend was write down three things you can do for yourself. Three small things in the beginning of the day you can do for yourself. Whether it's getting your eyebrows done or getting froyo or something small. Breathing a little Could deeper. Breathing a little <laughs> deeper. Stop <laughs> what you're doing. Stop everything. <laughs> you don't have to do it all. You don't have to do everything. I think that's what Thich Nhat Hanh said. Yes. That Buddhist monk. Yes. You can't be wrong. Tie it in. <laughs> he is a Buddhist monk. <laughs> so um, I, this poem is uh, by Donna Folds in the book of poetry called Limitless. It's called Blank Page. On the blank page of this day, I write, yes, I write acceptance. It's a journey I take every morning, the choice to greet what's here with as much equanimity as I can muster. When my heart closes in fear or overwhelm, I pray, help me please, and a response always comes. Courage, strength, or laughter takes the place of my despair. I write grateful and move on. Yes, on a phone. Thank you so much for that. That was beautiful. That was such a nice. It was close. actually. A, 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 I'm like so. Yeah, I'm so yeah. proud of us. Uh, we're so like. Um. In tune. So if you or someone you know has been sexually assaulted, back to serious tone. There are some LGBTQ friendly resources listed. I will post all of these. There's hotlines. There's projects. Um, like anti-violence projects. Um, national help centers. 
I'm going to post all of these. There will be a lot of resources within this episode. Please subscribe, share, write in, say hello as some closing, closing announcements. And if you're interested in doing a Pride Month share, also write in. I'm looking for a Father's Day presenter for next week. This will be similar to the Mother's Day episode. So the topic readings I would advise to read from the, the two holiday readings because they kind of tie in to a Mother Father's Day episode post. And as a closing statement, um, reminder to be kind to yourself and remember that you may be feeling very tender or vulnerable after listening to an episode like this. So please be gentle in all your interactions, especially with yourself. Thank you. Thank you, Brittany.